Did you miss me? Rhetorical, I know. Of course you did. Well, I'm back. And I'd like to think I have a pretty good episode lined up for you today. I am going to count down the top 10 toughest New York Islanders left wings of all time. Let's go. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bogdartner goes right to King Blackenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I am your host, as always, Joe Lazito. Thanks again for tuning in. If you're a return listener, welcome back. I appreciate you. And um, if you're a first-time listener, please do me a favor. Go back and listen to some of the shows in the archives. Uh, This episode, I will not have a guest, but uh, most of the episodes, I have a guest. And they are definitely the headliner out of the two of us. So I urge you. Please go back and listen to my past episodes. I think you'll enjoy them. And you can also hear the difference from episode one to the other episodes where I think all the episodes, I think I've done a pretty good job, um, you know, with all my zero training for this. But uh, I I feel like um, as the episodes have gone on, I've I've become a lot more comfortable. Uh, One thing I can't stop doing is uh, enunciate the word think. And when I re-listen to this stuff and I say think, it drives me up a wall. So uh, if you didn't notice, I'm sure you'll notice now. But uh, but yeah, but uh, thank you really for tuning in. It, it really does mean the world to me. So, um, so I did take a week off. And um, one of the things that I said, and I may have touched on this in one of my earliest episodes when I was discussing the show, is um, I don't get paid for this. I, I don't have sponsors. This is something I do. Um, it's a labor of love and um, it really has uh, helped me um, you know really um, keep in contact with the game um, you know maintain contact or reconnect with a lot of old friends Uh, in the case of Yannick Turcotte you know introduce myself to some new people Uh, Yannick is a good kid Uh, definitely go back and listen to that episode Um, the one thing I never wanted this project this podcast to become is a source of irritation. So as you've heard me lament over the last few months, uh, I am furloughed and I have enough real life uh, stress going on right now where I definitely, uh, I don't need any aggravation from doing this podcast. And uh, last week I had to take a step back because 
I kind of felt a little uneasy, a little shaky about it. Um, I, I go through, I guess I go through spurts and I, and I think anyone in my position, um, a lot of the people that uh, I plug and I will plug and that I've plugged in the past, we're all sort of independent contractors. Uh, we don't have the resume of other podcasts out there where we actually played in the league and uh, we can't just pick up the phone and say, hey, we're doing a show. Uh, you want to come on? And, uh, you know, pretty much the guarantee. And um, and I'm not saying that the, the uh, athletes are wrong, let's say, for giving a, a former player uh, priority over us. I mean, I, who, am I to, who am I to judge? Um, but generally what, what happens is it seems like it goes in spurts where I, I'll be able to line up four guys and just rattle off you know bang 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 interview after interview and then uh i go through a dry spell and i reach out to guys and some guys don't answer and um some guys answer and say they're in and then can't get them back on the phone um it's it's sort of it gets a little frustrating uh and the reason why i say a little is because i'm not going to let it really frustrate me to the point where i'm just going to pack it in because i really do enjoy doing this uh but um last week i just definitely needed to step away because i I could sense it getting to that point and um and i didn't want it to a i didn't want it to come through um in the show because i didn't i didn't want to sound angry or anything like that and uh I, i think i just needed to step back and take a deep breath what what generally happens is um i have you know i don't i don't do the numbers as a lot of the big shows obviously uh but i i do have some real loyal listeners and god i love you guys and um a lot of times they'll say hey did you ever consider getting this guy on the show did you ever consider getting that guy on the show and um chances are yes i have and um i've had guys that have agreed to do the show and then i can't track them down and i've had guys that uh, have said that they're not interested in doing the show and then they do other shows so it, it does get a little frustrating and again I, I i know my my station here i'm a hockey fan uh, i am not a former player i'm not a former executive i i don't i don't have any hockey cachet let's say uh with some with these guys and you know like i said that might mean something to some of them but um you know when you hear you hear guys go on other shows that maybe you've reached out to and you don't even get an answer it, it, it's frustrating i'm not gonna lie um so i just i needed to uh, i needed to step away last week and and it did me some good i really didn't uh didn't do too much involving the show uh i already had the material for today's episode uh ready to go so i didn't have to do too much uh this week with this episode um, I did reach out to someone and he did confirm that he would come on. So I started the research for that episode and i um, not going to say who it is because I don't want to uh, get my hopes up. But I, I, if, uh, if all goes well, I think it'll be a good episode. But it was nice to step away for a week or so. So uh, for those of you who uh, inquired over the last week or so where the episode was, uh, I just needed a break. Uh, because I, I don't want this to be a source of aggravation for me. And uh, because if it does, I'm just going to pack it in. And I, I definitely don't want to do that. So um, for everyone that sends me messages, you know, keep them coming. I mean, uh, chances are if you're going to send me a message, 
about uh, someone if I've thought about having them on the answer is going to be yes but maybe I haven't thought about them in a while so you kind of like light the fire under my ass and uh, and get it going so uh, yeah definitely uh, keep reaching out to me and I really appreciate all you guys who uh, who sent me messages this past week wondering if I was still alive so uh, so thanks for that and uh, and like I said hopefully uh, with some of the guys who have agreed to do the show um, I mean look guys I'm 49 years old and I admire the fuck out of these guys for the job they did and the and the people that they are and stuff they've done off the ice but uh, I, I can't go chasing guys uh, I just can't and um, it's kind of like uh, I look at it when, when everything happened to me and I, I got uh, requests to do interviews from, from everybody and their grandmother um, I did my best to to do all of them, and and if I said I was going to do one, I did them, and and I just thought it was a common courtesy, and uh, I understand that uh, everyone gets busy with stuff, but uh, you know if someone agrees to do the show, and then I reach out, text a couple times or whatever, or, or send messages, and then I don't hear back, like I, I just can't I can't chase another grown man. Um, like I said, I've had guys turn me down right from Jump Street, and everyone's always been very classy about it. Uh, but I, I actually it's easier that way um, if, if uh, I reach out to you and you don't want to do the show just just tell me no it's cool like really it's it's absolutely cool um, I, I've done I think there's you know five guys who have agreed to do the show I've done the research and uh, if you've listened to my episodes you know my research is pretty in-depth I, I probably put in maybe six seven eight ten hours of research depending on the length of the guy's career I put in a lot of research on these episodes and, um, you know, to put in the research on these shows and then, and then get ghosted. It's a little frustrating. So, um, for the guys that, uh, guys that I've done the research on, maybe I'll, I'll reach out one more time. And, uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but you know, I just, I just can't chase other, other grown men. You know, if you agree to do the show, I just I hope you come on. And if you don't, then so be it. But uh, anyway, that's where I was last week. So uh, so I just had to get that off my chest. But uh, it, it again, I'm always appreciative to the guys who have come on the show. And uh, it really puts into perspective, um, you know, when guys take the time out of their schedule to sit down with a ham and egger like myself to talk about their career, how much I do appreciate it. So uh, I always thank these guys and, and for everyone that's been on my show, uh, a million thanks again. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for agreeing to do the show, and then thank you for actually doing it. So, um, if uh, guys, if if the guys who have agreed to do the show and I've done the research on, if I'm able to nail them down, I promise you there'll be some really good episodes. If not, then we'll just go from there. So, uh, but I, I want everyone to know I am I, I I don't have a producer. I don't have I don't have a marketing guy. I don't have someone here uh, making the phone calls for me. This is a one man operation, and and I'm doing my best. Uh, I am doing my best. It's uh, it's something I love doing, and uh, and I'm trying. So, uh, thank you for everyone. Thank you to everyone who's done the show, and thank you to everyone who reached out last week. But I am alive, I am well, and uh, I just needed a break. So, um, on to more important things. So, how about those Islanders? Uh, the Islanders uh, dispatch of the Capitals in five games. Uh, not going to really go into too much of the analysis here, uh, but it was. It was a fun series to watch. And uh, how about Tom Wilson? Um, you know, <laughs> God, I can't stand that guy. I mean, listen, again, 
I give the guy credit. He is very good at what he does. Absolutely. You can hate him all you want. That's part of the gig. He is very good at what he does. I just I just wish he wasn't a spot picker. I, I just I can't say that enough. He he picked you know, and hey, he's fought pretty much everybody, as far as I know. But with the Islanders for some reason, you know, I've said it a million times over the last two or three weeks, wanted no part of Bolton, wanted no part of Ross, fought Ross because Ross made him fight. Um, and even in this series, he fought Anders Lee again. I mean, you know, but I'm happy he's going home. I'm happy that other shitball on the team, Radko Gudis, is going home. And I don't watch the Capitals that much. Who's this Dylan, this defenseman? He's, he seems to be a bit on the chippy side, too. We took a little, uh, few shots after the, after the whistle a bunch of times. He needs a bit of straightening out also. But it couldn't have happened to a nicer bunch of guys. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that uh, Tom Wilson has fun now being with his family, if he has a family. But uh, it's nice that he's out of the bubble. And I don't have to see his dumb face anymore. But, uh, yeah, he's a pain in the ass, that's for sure. And hopefully he nuts up this year and uh, squares off with Ross and um, show everybody what he's really made of. And uh, how about the handshake? Did you get the uh, get a look at the handshake between uh, Todd Reardon and Barry Trotz? That was as icy as it gets. Todd Reardon, Jesus. Talk about little brother syndrome. Um, I mean, first of all, he, I'm not. I'm not criticizing anybody's looks because I. I know. I know what I look like. I, I'm not a GQ model, but I mean, dude, get rid of that hair because you are Kevin Malone. Just shave that head. Really shave the head. You're Kevin Malone. Shave the head, dude. And, you know, like I said, take it from someone who's not not uh, appealing on. Uh, you know, to anyone. Uh, shave the head, and uh, you know. Although I don't even know. I mean, honestly, if he gets fired, who the hell knows? But uh, that was a pretty icy handshake between him and Barry Trotz. And then after that, he has to watch as Trotz goes through the handshake and all the Capitol players just still love Barry Trotz. That was pretty awesome to see. And, you know, Reardon must have just been seething watching that happen. But uh, I, I don't think it's going to be his problem for too much longer. He, he doesn't. I mean, he definitely got outcoached so badly in that series. But uh, Islanders move on now. They play the Flyers, and um, that should be a pretty good series. Uh, I'm predicting the Islanders in six. Uh, I don't think the Flyers have anyone uh, like a Tom Wilson on their team. I think they're a pretty honest team. I mean, obviously, you're always going to get guys that uh, play on the edge a little bit, but I don't think they have anyone like a Wilson or a Gudis. Um, and, you know, for those of you who know me, uh, Flyers are always a team that I pull for as long as they're not playing the Islanders. And, um, you know, it should be a hard-fought series. I'm predicting Islanders in six, and hopefully I'm right. Hopefully uh, I'm right. I'll be happy to be wrong if it's Islanders in four, Islanders in five. But uh, but uh, let's go Islanders. Let's see what happens. And guess who else is in the news again? That's right, Mike Milbury in the news again. Now, here's the thing with Mike Milbury. He's an asshole. I mean, it really... It, I think that... I don't understand people that don't realize this yet, that Mike Milbury says something and they're all up in arms. The, he's a horrible human being. And I don't understand why people don't realize this yet. And most of the time, awful people don't say or do nice things or good things. He's a shitty person. I've heard enough stories from former players about this guy. 
He is a horrible human being. Horrible. But let me let me go let me go uh, this route on this. So he said something about um, teams in the bubble are not distracted. There's no women in the bubble, so there's no distractions. In the grand scheme of things, is what he said like is it that bad in the sense that men, heterosexual men? find women attractive so there could be the visual distraction heterosexual men are married to women or have women as fiancés or girlfriends and families can become a distraction from hockey I don't view a family as a distraction family is the most important thing but if you have a player that's in the middle of a playoff maybe he doesn't need the distraction of everyday life and granted, a player's everyday life's distractions might be a lot different than you or I. I, I don't... Milbury has said and done, to me anyway, in, I mean in my opinion, not to me personally, so many other stupid things, insensitive things, idiotic things, that it's almost a shame if this is the hill that he's going to die on for this this uh, distraction comment um, in another time before everyone's become so progressive and I say that in air quotes I don't even think this is a blip on the screen I just think Milbury's on everyone's radar I think they I think there are a certain segment of the population that gets a particular person on their radar I think they did the same thing with Don Cherry and everything they say, they're going to dissect and they're going to criticize. Um, like I said, he said a lot worse things than this. But, you know, like I said, I, I guess I'm a free speech guy. And I'm not a free speech person like a lot of people that say they're a free speech. Because then they go, well, I'm, a, I'm for free speech. And then you go, well, what about this? Well, no, not that. I'm free speech for everything. Everybody has a right to say what they want. I'm a free speech guy. But in this case... If Mike said something that his boss doesn't like while he's free to say it, they're free to do what they want if they want to let him go or currently he's suspended. But let's call it as it is. NBC, they hired Mike Milbury to be this irreverent, edgy guy, like the controversial bad boy commentator. And now when he says something that's a little bit outside the lines... And really not outside. I don't think it's outside the lines. I don't. Not as much as this furor that's being raised. But in terms of what the norm is for today. So he says something. And now they're going to suspend him and probably fire him. But you hired him to be this way. It's like when um, Anthony Cumia was was fired. You, you hired. The, Opie and Anthony. They're hired to be these edgy guys. These funny edgy guys. Howard Stern. They're Imus. All these people, they're hired to not be like the morning zoo, you know, this vanilla morning zoo. All these guys are hired to be the bad boys or if if you like shock jocks. Um, and then when they are, they get fired. So I, the companies have to have some culpability here because how are you going to hire a guy? And then when he does what you hired him for, now you're going to fire him. I, it's just horseshit. I think Milbury, I, I'm not going to say anyone should ever be fired because 
to me, that's bad karma. And as someone who's out of work now, and obviously I'm sure Mike Milbury's bank account is significantly larger than mine, but I don't wish unemployment on anybody provided that they don't murder someone or rape someone or, or they're a pedophile. Obviously, those people should not only be fired, they should be dead. Um, but I'm not wishing unemployment on anyone. But I guess I think that's the route it's going to go. And, and I tweeted this earlier today. Um, I know I have zero listeners at the NBC Sports Network, but if anyone happens to tune in, when you ev- inevitably fire Mike Milbury, your first call should be to Brent Severn. Uh, Brent Severn is excellent at what he does. Uh, I was fortunate enough to do stats for him twice when he was the um, analyst for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks on the radio. Um, <laughs> his his prep is insane. The prep work he does prior to a game, the day before a game, it's insane. I mean, the he's meticulous. I mean, he's he was meticulous as an athlete. Um, he's a, he just everything that he does, he does perfect. He uh, and attention to details. And uh, like I said, he's very eloquent. Uh, he has a great personality. He has a great sense of humor. Um, he basically, to me, um, if you want to have the opposite of Mike Milbury, Brent Severin's your guy. And, you know, unfortunately, what I think is going to happen is they're going to get someone in there that's kind of vanilla. Doesn't, you know, they're going to get someone in there like a safe guy. And the thing with Sevy is Sevy's not going to say anything stupid, but he's funny and he has a personality. And what I'm worried about is there if they don't hire someone like Sevy, they're going to hire someone who is safe but doesn't really bring much of a personality to the booth. And uh, like I said, I think, uh, you know, Sevy's the guy. Sevy's the guy that should replace Mike Milbury. So um, he's an idiot. And, um, you know, I guess eventually everyone comes home to roost. And, and um, if you deserve it, you deserve it. So um, <coughs> I guess that's a little bit of my rant for the week. Um as you know, I am on Twitter. That is uh, at Joe underscore Lozito. That's my personal Twitter. And the Twitter for the account is at Kali Sinbin Pod. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I saw, you know, the whole thing with the pet peeve. I saw someone yesterday promoting someone else's Twitter. And they wanted, uh, hey, let's get this guy, I don't know, 8,000 followers before the day's over. So, of course, my morbid curiosity, I had to click on the account. He was right there at like 8,000, and he followed like 115 people. I, I don't understand that, but so be it. I guess maybe it's just me that finds that annoying, but uh, follow me on uh, Twitter on both accounts. I'll follow you back. Uh, to me, it's just, I don't say it's the right thing to do, but I'm asking you to follow me, and if I'm asking you to follow me, why wouldn't I follow you back? But, uh, you know, I'm not Jesus, right? Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. Now, uh, this is usually where I would say on Instagram, uh, it's a personal account, but I actually changed it and uh, because I didn't update my notes. So it used to be Joseph underscore Lazito. I did update my um, Instagram and now it is uh, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So I think if you still search for my name, I think it'll still come up, but I did change it to Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. It's pretty much transitioned full-time into a uh, in, an Instagram for the show. So uh, definitely, again, give me a follow there, and, uh, of course, I will follow you back. Uh, merchandise. Right now I'm sitting here recording in my wonderful Coliseum Chronicles T-shirt. Pardon me, I need a drink. Okay. 
you can order your Coliseum Chronicles merchandise. Teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. Or scroll to the bottom of the description of this episode and there'll be a link there for the merchandise. Or on all my social media feeds, there are merchandise links. And as I've said, pretty good merchandise. Um, definitely everything there, men, women, children, um, unisex, flags, uh, bags, uh, onesies. Just go. Just go. You know, Listen, you, you, you're curious to see what's there. You may as well just go and check it out. And uh, while you're there, just pick something up. Buy your, buy your girl some leggings. I mean, why not? Everyone, you know, you know you like the way your girl looks in leggings. Buy her some leggings. Okay, really. Just just go. And then, if it works out, if you really like the way she looks in the leggings, eventually you're going to need the onesies. So uh, just bookmark that link, okay? And, of course, when you go to the merchandise page, you're going to see the amazing logo done by Joe Marisich, local Long Island artist who you can reach at GraphicsJoker on Twitter, and you can reach him at LoudEgg.com. And what you saw after the Islanders dispatched of the Capitals ad infinitum on social media was Joe's drawing of Barry Trotz, where he said, you'll have to go through the fucking island. Again, you've seen it. If you're an Islanders fan, that's Joe. Get in touch with Joe for all your art needs. While you're listening to this podcast, when you're done listening to this episode, check out a few of my friends. Darren at the Fourth Line Voice. Darren just put out a Q&A episode. Um, he took questions from the adoring public. Very good episode. He went on a little bit of a rant in the beginning. Actually, his last few episodes have had some pretty good rants in the beginning. Very, very entertaining. Um, so check out his Q&A episode. And uh, also his YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. As I'm fond of saying, if you've watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on Darren's channel. He has now updated his total number of fights to over 2,200. Definitely check that out. Like I said, you've already, you already have. You may not just realize it. The Bucket Drop Podcast, Bobby Longgrass's latest episode. Uh, well, he put out two last week. Uh, one was uh, with the unfortunate passing of Dale Howarchuk. Uh, he put out an episode that had a story. Uh, uh, his dad had a Dale Howarchuk story, I believe. Uh, that was the last episode. And then the episode before that, uh, he did a he did a, a pretty good uh, episode. Something I definitely couldn't do. Uh, top ten current NHL enforcers. Um, he, I heard I've heard of nine of them. There was one guy on the list I don't, I've never even heard of. So um, and there's a guy on there I didn't even know fought to be honest with you. Um, but the, there was one guy on there that when he said it I, I was listening to it in my car and I said who I've never even heard of that guy. Um, but good job by Bobby because I couldn't put together a top 10 list uh, as far as fight, fighters go nowadays. I'd probably come up with uh, seven or eight, and, you know, Johnston would be two, and Matt Martin would be in there as well, and there probably would be nobody from the West except uh, Lucic and Reeves. So uh, I definitely couldn't uh, come up with 10 guys nowadays. So, uh, so good job there, Bobby. Uh, also, Bobby uh, sells hats. Uh, bucket drop podcast hats and um i think they are 25 bucks i think uh it's like 20 bucks to produce and ship uh or around 20 and the rest of the money bobby doesn't make a penny off these uh the uh, all the profits go to help child abuse survivors and uh, i should have been telling you about this months ago and i haven't and uh, i made note to 
tell you about this. So uh, do me a favor on Twitter. Go to at the bucket drop. And I think it's his pinned tweet. Check out the hats that he has for sale. Uh, like I said, all the profits go uh, to a very good cause. And uh, and grab yourself a lid and, um, you know, nice hats. And uh, they're flyers colors, uh, black and orange. Uh, definitely check it out. If you, if you have the extra cash lying around, like I said, the, the profits go to a good cause. Uh, and also, um, Five for Fighting podcast, Alec Olin Salen. Jesus, my heart goes out to him this week. Um, worst nightmare for people like us. Uh, there were technical issues, and uh, I think, thankfully, he is uh, he's resolved all those. I know that when I'm done with a guest, every time I hit stop recording, m- my heart kind of stops for a second just to make sure that it records. Uh, and um, I think he had some technical, like I said, technical issues. Well, he definitely had technical issues, but I think they're all resolved. But uh, I was catching up with his feed earlier today, and oh, my heart was breaking for him until I found out that he fixed it. But oh, what a fucking nightmare that is. Uh, there was once or twice where I was really myself worried that it wasn't going to record. And, you know, you, you, you sit down with a guy for two or three hours, and, um, you know, the best interview is always the first one because that's they haven't heard the questions yet and, and you get their you know the the answer that you know comes right to them as opposed to knowing the question already or if you have to re-record so the first one's always the best and um you never want to ask a guy hey can i have two more hours can i have three more hours and then you hit him with the same questions so uh thankfully i think uh, all has been resolved and uh, alex should be releasing his episode with curtis tidball uh tomorrow maybe well probably today I don't even know because you're probably hearing this Monday. So by the time you're hearing this, the episode's probably out. So I would definitely give it a listen. And uh, also check out uh, Alex Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Uh, Very good page, over 10,000 members. And um, that, I believe, brings me to the end of my rant and my announcements. So now... We're going to move on to the nuts and bolts of this show. Now, you would think, of course, I had the page open with my list of guys for this episode, but I didn't. So that's why I'm kind of delaying time here until I can get it open. All right, here we go. So uh, we've already discussed the top 10 toughest defensemen, and we've already discussed the top 10 toughest centers in Islanders history. So we have three top 10 shows left. Uh, One will be today, the top 10 toughest left wings. Uh, then the top 10 toughest right wings. And then when we're done, when I'm done with those two episodes, eventually we're going to get to the ultimate top 10 Islander enforcer list. And this is the position that really um, created this sort of more detailed countdown uh, project that I've, I've started. This is the position. And uh, it really it has to do with the top three guys in this uh, in this uh, left wing episode, and as we get, as I get towards them, uh, you'll understand why. Because, like I said, in the past when I've done Islander top tens or anyone has done Islander top tens, it's generally the same guys near the top of the list. And I really wanted to try to break it down with some numbers, uh, not completely number. Obviously, you know I'm not an analytics guy, but uh, I wanted to kind of break down the stats, the fight stats, and. Um, fighting majors and penalty minutes and uh, you know kind of just make it a little more scientific other than the eye test you know so um that's that was the impetus for the whole project and this is the position that 
was the impetus to that. So without further delay, we're going to get started. So as I've done with all of these positions, actually except center, because to come up with 10 tough centers was, uh, I was a bit of a chore, but um, left wing and right wing is, is pretty easy. I have three honorable mentions for left wing. First honorable mention is Brett Gallant. Uh, now Brett Gallant uh, played one season with the Islanders. More, more than one season in the organization. But one season in the NHL. Played four games, 17 penalty minutes, and three fights. So in, that se- in the 2013-14 season, like I said, four games, three fights. Matt Cassian, George Paros, and uh, our old buddy Zenon Kanopka, my number two all-time toughest Islander center. Brett Gallant did what a, what a guy is supposed to do. You get a late-season call-up. You've made your nuts and bolts in your career, dropping the gloves in the minors, and now you're going to get the call-up. You don't want to have four games, two penalty minutes, and no fights. If this is how you make your living you got to get some numbers in those columns. And Galley made the most of it. Um, in the preseason, so he had, f- he had three fights in four games in the regular season. That preseason, he led the team in fighting majors uh, with five in the 2013-14 preseason. Fought Brian McGratton, uh, Paul Gastad, and, uh, or Gausted. I never, I always get his name. I'm never sure how to say his name. I apologize, Paul. I know you're a loyal listener. Uh, and he fought Chris Barch three times. Chris Barch was at New Jersey at the time. So that season, eight fights, including the, uh, the exhibition. And that's not even counting his Bridgeport fights. Uh, and then 2015 preseason, uh, tied for the lead in fights with one, uh, fought Jordan Curran of the Bruins. So um, Brett Gallant, he's uh, listen, I'm, I'm just going to say it now. Everybody on this list, I want to get on the show. So <clears throat> if you're listening to the show and you're saying, hey, you had this guy ranked this time and this guy ranked this time, you should try to get him on the show. I agree, okay? Uh, as I'm scrolling through the list, I've had one, two... I've had two guys on the show on this list. A third guy is a potential one, and there's a couple of guys who I hope I can get at some point when they're not Islanders anymore. Uh, because uh, if you're an Islander fan, you know Lula Amarillo kind of puts the clamps down on things. So uh, I think current players are probably off limits for the moment. But, uh, yes, I would love to have Brett Gallant. Uh, I have heard he's not one to really do podcasts. I will still reach out to him, but I have not as of yet. Uh, but uh, it doesn't hurt to ask. So, uh, But, uh, like I said, Brett Gallant, it, it, there's... Uh, Brett Gallant was part of the Ice Guardians project. He's in there quite a bit. So if you want to uh, know more about Brett, definitely check out the Ice Guardians and uh, definitely check out his YouTube stuff because the uh, guy's tough, man. He's he's tough. He comes from a tough family. His brother Alex, he's uh, uh, got another guy that uh, enforces in the minors. Um, I think he's with San Jose's organization, but I'm not 100% positive if that's still accurate. But uh, two tough, tough guys, uh, Alex Gallant, Brett Gallant, and um, even though he didn't play too much up here with the Islanders, he made enough of an impression where he's going to get an honorable mention from me. So honorable mention number one is Brett Gallant. Honorable mention number two, Mitch Hurricane Fritz. So Mitch was a, an Islander for one season, 2008-2009. Uh, 
uh, played 20 games with the big club, uh, 42 penalty minutes, and six fights. So uh, his six fights that year, uh, George LaRock, Andrew Peters, Eric Goddard, Riley Cote, Colton Orr, and David Kochi. So basically, uh, he didn't take any nights off when he dropped the gloves with these guys. So, um, yeah, tough guy. And that preseason, he had two fights. I uh, fought Mike Rupp and Sheldon Brookbank, who were both with New Jersey at the time. So, uh, and that preseason, he was tied for the team lead with two fights. And uh, like I said, he had six fights in 20 games with the Islanders. Uh, <clears throat> I've never met Mitch. I, I would love to get him on the show. I have no way of contacting him. And actually, that's not true. I just realized I have met Mitch once. Uh, when I worked at Madison Square Garden and I was working in the box office, I don't remember who they opened up for, but Mitch Fritz was a guest of a band called Theory of a Dead Man. And when he came to pick up the tickets, I mean, the guy's just massive. And, of course, being an Islanders fan, I, I know who Mitch is. I mean, yeah. I knew who Mitch Fritz was before he was an Islander. It's hard not to be a fight fan and not know who Mitch Fritz is. Uh, did I say Fritz? Fritz. Um, but anyway, this monster comes to the window to pick up his tickets, and he shows me his ID, and I'm like, dude, you don't have to show me your ID. I know who you are. And uh, at the Garden, when someone would pick up tickets, you have them sign the envelope as proof that they picked up their tickets. And um, I don't know if I should be saying this, but that envelope, well, it would have been shredded by now. They hold them for a few years, but uh, Mitch Fritz' uh, pickup envelope is actually part of my collection. So I did meet him once for about 30 seconds, and um, if anyone has any way to contact Mitch, I would love to get him on the show. So Mitch Fritz, badass, honorable mention number two on my top ten toughest left wings in New York Islanders history. Third and final honorable mention. Now, I don't know how old my audience is, but this is a guy that some of you may not have heard of. And he is a guy that really, I've, I really went back and forth. Does he get an honorable mention? Does he crack the top 10? And it really, it could go either way. And I actually, I feel like I'm doing him a disservice, not putting him in the top 10. But the issue really comes down to um, who am I taking out? Because the guys in the top 10 all have, You'll understand. I don't want to say name recognition, but there are certain guys, a lot of guys in the top 10 or a handful of guys in the top 10 made their bones with other teams and they're all timers. And maybe they had a short term tenure with the Islanders where this guy had a, had a longer term tenure. But based on the fact that some of these guys were the, the top guys while they were with the Islanders, where my honorable mention number three was never the top guy. But I mean, really, I think it's, due to circumstance. My third honorable mention is a guy named Dale Henry, um, affectionately known as Hank. Um, Dale Henry played six seasons with the Islanders, played 138 games, 280 penalty minutes, and he ended up with 29 fights. Um, the The most he ever played in a, a full, in a season for the Islanders was 48 games in 87-88. That was also the year he recorded his career high in penalty minutes with 115 and his career high in fights with the Islanders with 11. Um, some of the guys that he that are on his fight card, uh, Bob McGill with Toronto, Jay Wells with the Kings, Tim Hunter, Calgary, uh, Larry Playfair, Tory Robertson, uh, Jim Kite, Marty McSorley, Joe Patterson a couple of times, Bird Dog Smith, uh, Dave Maley, Kevin McClellan, Rudy Poshek. Dale Henry is a heavyweight. He fought the heavyweights. 
But Dale Henry was never the number one guy on the Islanders, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if that would have been the right role for him anyway. Um, you know, Dale Henry, he was a pretty good player too. Uh, I think that Hank was probably better suited to be uh, a guy who rode shotgun to uh, a, a true number one. And um, I, I honestly wish, like I said, six seasons, only 138 games. I would have loved to see what he could have done uh, with a full season or two. And like I said, playing a regular shift with regular line mates, like I said, as a number two. Um, I, I think Dell played on um, – he kind of – came to the Islanders as they were getting out of the dynasty. And as they were getting out of the dynasty, some of those years weren't so great. And it, 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 it they weren't great, but they also enabled a guy like a Dale Henry maybe to get some games. It's when guys like Dale Henry started coming in and Bob Basson started coming in. Um, and I always enjoyed, I always enjoyed Dale Henry. And um, like I said, I, I don't know how many people that are listening to this, especially younger people. I'm sure they don't know who Dale Henry is, but Tough guy, you know, good player. And actually, here's something to uh, for you to maybe research. So everybody knows Pat LaFontaine. And uh, if you're an Islander fan or if, I mean, if you're even a casual hockey fan, you know that Pat LaFontaine scored the Easter Epic goal against Washington. Uh, there are some people that say that Dale Henry actually tipped that in, that after LaFontaine shot it, Dale Henry tipped it in. So I, the video is not great. I can't make it out on the video if Hank actually did tip it in. Uh, part of me hopes he didn't because if he did tip it in uh, and he didn't get credit for it, it's sort of, it's a crime because that is one of the biggest goals in team history. And you never know. Like you don't If Dale Henry gets credit for that, then all of a sudden he has this name recognition and, and maybe his career takes a different trajectory. So part of me hopes that he didn't tip it in because I would hate for that to have been taken away from him. But then part of me hopes he did tip it in because then he knows he scored it. But in case you're wondering, I have reached out to Dale Henry. I have sent him a message. Uh, the only way I know how right now with, uh, with Hank is Facebook messenger. I have not heard back from him. Um, again, I'd love to get him on the show, not just to ask him about the, the uh, Easter Epic goal, but to talk about his career and maybe, um, educate some people on on his career because you know he's kind of like uh, post Nystrom Gillies. I mean they were still in the team uh, and it, you know he's so, sort of like in that Brian Curran thing where it's post dynasty pre Vakoda bomber and I, I think a lot of times guys might get lost in that shuffle. But Dale Henry was tough. He definitely was tough, and I'd love to chat with him. Uh, Dale Henry is my third honorable mention for top ten toughest left wings in Islanders history. So now we are moving on to the top 10. Number 10. And now we're going to get into some guys. The first few guys, um, not very long careers with the Islanders, uh, but definitely guys that you know who they are. And uh, my number 10, Chris Simon. That's right. You forgot that Chris Simon was an Islander. Well, he was. He was with the organization for two years. He played a total of 95 games. 118 penalty minutes, nine fights. Uh, he was tied for the team lead in majors in 2006-7. Uh, he had five. That was tied for the team lead. Um, as I go through his fight card, I look. Uh, John Erskine, uh, Chris Thorburn, Mark Fraser, 
Todd Fedoric. That's one. Of, I, I, that's a picture I post a lot. Uh, it's a really good picture of uh, Chris Simon fighting uh, Fridge. Um, in 2007-8, he had three fights in 28 games. Uh, Riley Cote, Colt Noor, and uh, Andre Waugh. He also fought Colt Noor that preseason. So, total of nine fights in Islander uniform, eight regular season, one preseason. Uh, like I said, it's Chris Simon. If <laughs> I mean, Chris Simon is a guy. Um, I have two people sort of on the case probably, um, you know, died down now. I know at the time I discussed trying to reach out to Chris and getting him on the show because, uh, to me, that would be massive uh, with the reputation that Chris has, and he's always... I mean, I love the guy, and uh, back in the day when I was at the games, even when Chris started out with Quebec and all the teams he was on after that, we would always chat after the games. I mean, just a tremendous individual, uh, super guy, scary dude, man. I, I don't know what's scarier. The, I think it was scary the way he looked with the long hair, but then when you spoke to him and he just had that low voice and he just always had – it's weird because he looks like a maniac, but when you spoke to him, he just had that calming voice which I think made him even scarier. But, I mean, complete gentleman. Uh, I love the guy. I'd love to get him on the show. So, again, if anyone's listening to this that has access to Chris Simon, please, please tell him that uh, he should be on the Coliseum Chronicles. Um, definitely love Chris Simon. You're aware of his resume. You know what he did in Quebec, Colorado, Washington. Um, he's an all-timer, absolutely all-timer. And uh, he's number 10 on the list of top 10 Islander toughest left wings. Number nine, the Chief. One of the Chiefs, Gino Ojik, number nine on the list of toughest Islanders. Uh, the bad thing about Gino with the Islanders is I believe while he was here, he had abdominal issues. And abdominal issues for an athlete in any sport is going to suck. I'd imagine abdominal issues for a hockey player has just got to be brutal just to play and especially fighting with them. I mean, you're, you're constantly twisting and turning. It's got to be very uncomfortable. But uh, I think that's why he missed some significant time uh, with the Islanders while he was here was for uh, abdominal issues. But over three seasons, and ev everybody knows the story. If you heard my episode, well, you, you knew the story before I had Jason Strudwick on the show. Hold on, I'm getting all choked up here. You knew the story um, before I had Strud's on the show where uh, Strud's was traded for Gino, and then they played against each other the next night and fought. Uh, I think everybody's aware of that story. That was Gino's first fight with the Islanders and uh, Strud's first fight with Vancouver. In, uh, in parts of three seasons with the Islanders, because that first season he only played 13 games, uh, Gino had uh, 82 games played, so the equivalent of a full season, 254 penalty minutes, and 10 fights. Um, so I could rattle these names off for you easy since there's only 10 of them. Uh, his first season with the Islanders, when he was, after the trade, uh, fought Struds, fought Louis DeBrusque, and Darren Langdon. Uh, second season, which only he only played 23 games, still managed to lead the team in penalty minutes and fights, even though he only played 23 games. Had five fights, 133 penalty minutes. Uh, Chris Tamer, Ken Baumgartner, Peter Worrell, Dave Moosmar set, Warren Reichel fought those guys. Again, the fight card is second to none. I mean, those eight fights, all legit eight guys. And then in 99-2000, uh, 46 games, 90 penalty minutes, only two fights. Uh, and he went after the guys that probably a lot of people would like to punch. 
uh, two fights. One was against Darius Kasparitis. We love him, but we know we probably, uh, you know, people want to punch him in the face. And uh, Owen Nolan, uh, no, another tough player, uh, plays on the edge. And uh, I don't remember the incident, but probably deserved it. So, uh, like I said, uh, 82 games, 10 fights, 254 penalty minutes. Um, led the team in, in majors and uh, penalty minutes in 98 and 99. Um, you know, Gino, he, uh, he was really sick for a while. And uh, I, I think it was pretty serious. And uh, he just did a, a, a pod, did another show, and he sounds great. And um, really, it just you, you can kind of tell from a person's voice. Sounds great anyway, and he says he's in really good health now. So um, it's real inspirational that uh, he was doing. I mean, if you follow his if you follow his uh, uh, social media, the last few years it seems like he was in some some dire straits, but. Uh, everything seems to be uh, going really well for him now. And um, I met Gino, I think it was his sixth game or seventh game after his call-up. He ended up uh, here at the Coliseum. And um, I think everyone, it was funny because, you know, how it used to work was, you know, they'd walk from the Marriott over to the arena for the morning skate. And I was one of the people out there, and most of the people had um, hockey cards or something they wanted signed by the star players. And then there's me, and I just want to see the tough guys. And, I'd always have fight tapes or something like that. And uh, Gino, everybody knows Gino's best buddy is Pavel Bure. And I believe they came out together. So if you picture like 20 people kind of swarming them and 19 people going to Pavel Bure, and then I just kind of separate with Gino. It was great. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk to him and uh, talk to him after the skate too. And um, would see him all the time after games. And, you know, really cool guy, nice guy. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for, for him and his hockey career. Like I said, uh, you know, he was sick. He's better now. And if you think about Gino, you always think about him as a Canuck. And uh, he's he's a legend in Vancouver. And it's really good for, uh, for him, you know, guys like Gino to be recognized. Like, you know, here on the island, I, I always say Bob Nystrom probably hasn't paid for a beer in 40 years. Uh, and I would imagine that Gino Ojic, uh, they take care of him in Vancouver. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. So Gino Ojic is my number nine uh, toughest left wing in Islanders history. Number eight, current Islander Ross the Boss Johnston. Now, Ross Johnston, number eight, not bad for a guy who's played 74 games. Uh, Ross Johnston is, of I, I, I don't want to say a victim, but he's a victim of the current state of the NHL. I would love to see what Ross Johnston could do if he played 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I would love to see how he would do because the guy is, man, he is tough. He's big, he's tough, um, and he does some damage. And I, I would love to see Ross Johnston play in a league where he didn't have to chase guys around for fights, where he didn't have to wear a visor, and the guys he fought weren't wearing visors. Uh, and I'd love to see, I'd love to see what he could do in a league like that. If we're being honest, um, there are very few legitimate heavyweights left in the game. And, you know, I, I, I said it, and uh, again, I'm, I say I said it. I'm not the only one who said it, but when the Islanders went into, when the Islanders played Vegas this year, uh, first game here, I was kind of hoping that he would meet up with Ryan Reeves, and he, he pushed the envelope. Ross wanted to fight Reeves here, and Reeves, I'm, I'm going to say Reeves did not want to fight him, not saying he was afraid of him. And there was one time they came close together at the bench, and Reeves gave him that, like, who the fuck are you? Like, that kind of look. 
Um, and Reeves, listen, if we're being honest, Reeves is the champ right now. If there's, if there is a champ right now in the NHL, it is Ryan Reeves. And Ross, you know, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And Ross went at him, and they did not fight here at the Coliseum. And then in the rematch in Vegas, uh, I think it was right off the opening faceoff. They went at, squared off, had a good fight. I give Reeves the edge, uh, but Ross, Ross did very well in that fight. Again, nowadays everyone has to wear a visor, um, and there's really, because of the way the league is put together where probably 95% of the teams don't have a legitimate enforcer, uh, that affects a lot of when Ross plays, how much he plays, if he even dresses for games. So I think Ross is a legitimate force in this league right now, and Ross is a guy I would have loved to see what he could have done 20 years ago where he's just got the, the old CCM on, no visor, and every night there's a guy out there. I, I mean, I'd love to see what Ross could do over a full season where he's going to play 70 games because the guy can play also. And, um, you know, his skating has improved so much from when he first came to the organization. He played the other night in the in Game 5 against Washington. He looked fantastic. Um, but his bread and butter is, is his fists. And uh, fortunately, he has a coach in Barry Trotz that believes in him and that hopefully will mold him into uh, not... I don't think Ross has it in him to be a douchebag like Tom Wilson, but he can play a tough style and take a regular shift. So hopefully Barry will, will sort of mold him into that kind of player because I'm not sure how much of a chance Ross would get on other teams, but this is the perfect situation for him, and I think Ross could play on this team for another 10 years, and I hope so. But let's get to the numbers here. So Ross, over four seasons, has played 74 games. He has a total of 167 penalty minutes, and he has 18 fights. Um, three times in the preseason, he has tied for the team lead in fights. Uh, he led the team in preseason fights once, and even though he's only been in the organization four years, He's already led the team in fighting majors twice in the four years. Uh, so in 2017-18, he played 24 games, 62 PIMs, led the team, four fights led the team. Uh, in 2019-20, 32 games, uh, 78 PIMs led the team, six fights led the team. And it's really weird saying how six fights lead the team. And six fights was probably third or fourth in the league. Uh, it's just the way the league is nowadays. It's just crazy. But, um, you know, Ross has, counting exhibition, he has 18 fights. And, uh, like I said, his season high was six, which was this year. Uh, Josh Brown, Chris Stewart, Luke Witkowski, uh, Michael Haley, which was a slugfest, Garnet Hathaway. And his last fight was against uh, Ryan Reeves, which I discussed already in Vegas. Um, he's also fought Curtis Gabriel, Cody McLeod. Uh, let's see, who else do we got on here? Uh, Ryan Lomberg, I don't know what that guy was thinking. He's fought Hathaway once before uh, when he was with Calgary, I believe. Uh, and, of course, he um, he made Tom Wilson fight him uh, back in 2017-18. And I know people think I, I uh, am very critical of Tom Wilson. Ross made Tom Wilson fight him. Tom Wilson did not want to fight him. I'm not saying he's afraid of him. I think Tom Wilson has an inflated sense of self where he thinks he's too good to fight certain guys. Tom Wilson did not want to fight Ross. Ross did the smart thing. He gave him no choice. So um, I'm very happy that the Islanders have uh, Ross Johnston on this team. Um, they have a legitimate heavyweight. At worst, he's number two in the league right now. At worst. Um, I'd I want to see him beat Reeves. Uh, but... Like I said, this guy, he's a force. 
And uh, another guy. <laughs> so Lou Lamarillo kind of has his hand in everything with the Islanders. And uh, I'm not even, I wouldn't even ask a guy like Ross Johnston to do the show right now because uh, I can't see him doing the show. Even though it would be a complimentary show, you know, I love Ross. Uh, I just think it would be kind of like putting him on the spot, um, you know, because uh, Lou just controls everything. So uh, maybe someday I will I will be able to get Ross on the show. I would love to. Uh, I think he'd be a great interview. I, I think uh, he's had some really good fights in junior and in the minors and obviously now with the Islanders. But if I have to wait years to interview Ross because he's going to be an Islander for years, I'll take it. So the future is very bright. The Islanders have a guy that's going to protect them for the next decade, provided that they keep him. Ross Johnston, number eight on my list of top ten toughest left wings. Number seven, former guest, Eric Bolton, number seven, top ten toughest left wings. Eric Bolton played parts of four seasons with the Islanders, uh, 54 games, 156 penalty minutes, and 15 fights. Um Eric Bolton obviously was an Islander towards the end of his career, but guy was always in shape. And the thing, I, th- I think it was on um, uh, Bucket Drop on Bobby's uh, episode where I did the top 10 fights and I was talking about Bolton. So the job, the enforcer job is the toughest job in sports. And there's no disputing that. You can say whatever you want. Toughest job in sports. Um, when you're an enforcer on a team and you play two or three times a month it becomes that much tougher and at the point that Eric Bolton was on the team the most games he played in a season for the Islanders I believe it uh, 23 games he had 88 penalty minutes and eight fights um, in 2013-14 with the Islanders uh, there were stretches where he didn't see I mean maybe took the warm up but he didn't see game action for stretches and then when he was in there, all he did was do his job. And I respect Eric Bolton, even if he was never an Islander. But the fact that he was an Islander and the fact that he did the job under the conditions that he did, the respect just goes up tenfold. And I, I believe Eric touched on it. Like he was under, they didn't tell him, look, we're going to sign you and you're going to play all these games. It was basically, we're going to sign you, you're going to dress here and there. Uh, want you for you know what you can do on the ice, but obviously it's a younger team. We want you for your leadership and everything. And he was gung ho for that. So I think I think everyone was honest when he when he signed with the team and while he was with the team. And I like I said, I just think um, to play the role is tough. To play the role like he did under the circumstances he did when he was here playing a handful of games every month. It's just so admirable. My respect for the guy is just through the roof. So in um, I don't even know if I read the whole stat line yet. In 54 games, 156 penalty minutes, 15 fights, including uh, exhibition. Um, he tied for the team lead in preseason fights one time. Uh, guys on his fight card, Chris Bart- Barch, Aaron Asham, George Paros, Colt Knorr, Cody McCormick, uh, Jay Rosehill twice in the season. Again, Colt Knorr. Again, George Paros. Uh, one fight with George Paros uh, while... Uh, Paris was at Montreal. That everybody's seen that fight. That was uh, that was intense. Uh, just uh, you know, Bolton. He's just so powerful. Um, Dalton Prout, uh, Tanner Glass in the preseason. Of course, my fondest memory of Eric Bolton will be him chasing around Tom Wilson after uh, the in the preseason 
and the regular season after Tom Wilson ended Lubo Vishnovsky's career. Um, it's got to be somewhat – obviously, I'm sure Bolton would have loved to just, you know, beat the, the, beat the shit out of him or just punch him square in the face once. You get some satisfaction out of that. But I guess in a way, when you're, when you're an enforcer, to actually make another grown man not want to even look at you and not, not even think about fighting you, it also has to be a little bit of satisfaction in that too, I, I would imagine. There's got to be something to it that you would think, that guy, he's fought this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, wanted no part of me. So I guess there's got to be something to that. But um, just the fact that uh, Bolton stepped up every game, that he played against Washington always went after Tom Wilson and Wilson always declined turned him down you know oh my coach told me not to fight him or um, you know I can't fight guys like that blah 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 you know you play on the edge you want to injure guys answer the bell it's very simple just do it but never did never wanted a piece of Eric not that I blame him Eric Bolton is not someone I'm interested in getting in the in the face from uh, but again if that was my job and I played like a douchebag like Tom Wilson I would like to think I would answer the bell. But, uh, you know, for, for the time that Eric Bolton was here, uh, him and Matt Karkner made a tremendous tag team. It was, it was great to have two tough veterans like that out there patrolling the ice, and, uh, and it was fun. And that's the one thing I will say about this organization, even as the game gets softer and softer, uh, the Islanders always manage to keep a guy or two on the roster that, that doesn't mind mixing it up. And... Um, I'm happy that Eric Bolton has Islanders on the back of his hockey card, like I say about all these guys. So Eric Bolton is my number seven, toughest left wing on the Islanders. Number six, another former guest, Paul Cruz. Paul Cruz, I think a lot of time, I, I think people know him from Calgary. And I think a lot of times he kind of gets lost in the shuffle with the Islanders because he played on some really awful teams. He played during the Fisherman era. And, uh, the identity of the team was really around the shithead Mike Milbury. And I think a lot of times guys just get lost in the shuffle. And I think Paul is a victim of that because I don't know how many people actually remember that he was here. Um, and he, I mean, Paul Cruz talk about underrated toughness. It's really scary to think that he is. And I think that stems partially from being in Calgary with Sandy McCarthy. Um, and then when he was here, I think he was, I think uh, he, part of the time he was here, if not all of it, Kenny Belanger was here. Um, but Paul Cruz, fuck, that guy's tough and he hits hard, man. He hits really hard and he can play. Good player. I mean, really good player and, and great guy. Uh, Paul Cruz, two seasons, uh, 110 games, 249 penalty minutes, 21 scraps, fought the likes of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Killer Kaminsky fought uh, Paul Laws twice, Darren Langdon, Chief Daniels, Jimmy Cummins, Randy McKay, uh, Reed Simpson, Jeff Rogers, Brant Myers, uh, Vanden Bush, Denny Lambert, Bobby Bugner, Rob Ray. I mean, just everybody. Everybody that that you could fight, he fought. And it, it couldn't have been an easy job to do with this team at that time. Um, you know, there's, I think a lot of times people just see the physical aspect of it, but there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that people don't know or don't realize. And I think doing this job, uh, which is most of the time a thankless job when Paul did it, uh, it, it couldn't have been a very easy thing to do. Uh, but Paul's a professional and, um, you know, I think he's a guy that 
if you ask anyone who followed him, they're going to say, man, that guy's tough. And Paul Cruz, super tough. And uh, I really appreciate him coming on the show. Paul Cruz is my number six toughest left winger in Islanders history. So now we're going to get into the top five. Top five toughest left wingers in the history of the franchise. My number five is the fucking savage Trevor Gillies, number five on my list. When I did the uh, when I did the notes for Gills, it was amazing that he only played 56 games with this team because the lasting impression I have from his tenure here seems like he played a lot more than 56 games, um, and I was really surprised. Like I had to I had to really look a little bit harder because I thought I was wrong. Um, but it's the impact that he had while he was here. Uh, that made me think that he was here for longer than than 56 games. Um, Trevor Gillies is, was, probably still is, even though he doesn't have the Fu Manchu anymore. He's a throwback. Trevor Gillies would have been, he would have fit right in in the 70s, would have fit right in in the 80s. I mean, it was almost as if they put him in a time machine and transported him into the 2000s, and people didn't know what to make of him. Because, I mean, with the Islanders, I, I think he said on a sh- on a, a podcast he said that he had the Fu Manchu and his wife hated it, but Garth didn't want him to shave it. And it sounds weird for people to say or for people to hear this, but it's true. So if you're you're a grown man and you're on a hockey team and you see on the other bench. There's this guy with his energy cranked up to a million and he has these eyes and this intensity and he looks like that with that mustache. He, just by him doing his ritual and warm-ups and just being himself on the bench, three-quarters of every team wanted no part of him and probably more than that. It was probably everybody on the other team that didn't fight wanted no part of him and even the guys who did fight were probably hoping they didn't have to deal with him I mean it was I I just think of Gills and I just think uh, obviously I think of power Uh, I think Terry Ryan told me that uh, Trevor Gillies is one of one of two guys who hit him the hardest in his career Uh, so I think of power but I mostly think of intensity I think of energy and ferocity Um, off the ice I think of a a complete gentleman uh, absolute class guy um, but on the ice, just a savage, a wild man, really. Um, so Trevor played 56 games over three seasons with the Islanders, uh, 240 penalty minutes, 17 fights. Um, he tied for the team lead in uh, preseason fighting majors once, and he led the team in preseason fighting majors another time. Uh, 2010-11, and I got into that season a little bit when I was uh, doing my top 10 centers when I talk about uh, Kanopka, but 2010-11... It was, uh, I mean, a memorable season for me personally for many reasons, but that was really the season where it was Trevor and Z and Matt Martin and Travis Hamanick and Michael Haley. Um, it was a fun squad to watch. It was unbelievable to watch. Um, that season, Gills had nine fights. Uh, he had 39 games played, 165 penalty minutes, nine fights. Uh, DJ King fought Eric Goddard three times, uh, Derek Bugard 
uh, Thornton, Sean Thornton, uh, Jared Bowl, uh, Paul Bissonette, Sheldon Brookbank. Um, did I say Jared Bowl? I don't, I don't know. But those were the nine fights he had in 39 games. And that's really the season where um, people are going to remember him by for a couple of reasons. One, the revenge game. Um, I'd love to get Trevor on the show to ask him about this. The, uh, the revenge game, people are going to, you know, people, he faced a lot of criticism about the hit that he laid on whatever. I don't remember the penguin that he hit. And then, you know, of course, the video captures him in the runway where it looks like he's yelling at the player or he's taunting the player. Now, I don't know. This is the thing. I, I can only tell you what I've read um, or that I've heard. I actually heard that it was the penguin's trainer that was actually chirping Gillies. And Gillies was just chirping him back, and um, you know I don't I don't know if um, like I don't think players should ever chirp coaches. Uh, you know, uh, Vakoda and I talked about that with with Rob Ray. I don't think players should chirp coaches. I definitely don't think like trainers or staff should be chirping players. And again, I can't verify that that's what happened, but I have heard that that Gillies wasn't was it Tangrady? Is that who the player was? I don't remember, but. Uh, people are like, oh, look at that guy, and he's just—he's a savage, and he's a—he's a caveman, and he's chirping this guy. And I actually, what I actually heard was that it was the Penguins trainer uh, that was chirping Gillies, and Gillies was just just answering him back. Um, so Gillies is—he's almost guilty of being too tough for for hockey at the time. Uh, he looks like a crazy person. He's intense, and I think men sort of get that and I and by men I think you know who I'm talking about men get that like I think as myself I watch that game and I watch the highlights over and over again and I see what happened in that game and I get goosebumps and I'm I don't think look at that animal I think that's a guy I go to fucking war with that's a guy I want having my back that's a guy I want in my corner I think other people look at it as, oh my goodness, like, oh, he's he's public enemy number one. I, I think it's it's hard for people to understand, but he's a warrior. You can't you can't fault you can't hire a guy to be a warrior and then be totally aghast when a warrior is a warrior. That's it. That that revenge game was all about coming coming to show the league that the Islanders wouldn't be pushed around anymore. And to show the Penguins, you may have gotten the better of us in that game, but now this is our time. And like I said, I don't know for sure what the situation was in the runway. I heard it was the, I heard all it was, was the trainer chirping Gills and Gills chirping him back. I heard it wasn't Gillies taunting Tangrady. Yeah, you know, understand this. And I think if you're listening to this, you know, enforcing is their job, but they're, actual human beings behind the player and I was fortunate enough to, to know Trevor I still know him but obviously uh, you know we don't chat as much as when he, when he was here um, he's a tremendous person he, he's a nice person he's a great guy he's a loyal friend does so much for people in the community um, he's not an asshole like let's say if you see Sean Avery chirping someone like that in that position I think you kind of expect that because that's the reputation that Avery has earned for himself. Gillies is not that kind of person. He's an animal on the ice, but he's not an asshole. So that's not his style. So that's why if I get if I'm ever able to get him on the show, I'd love to ask him about that. I'd love to get 
all the guys that were involved in that revenge game, including Goddard on the Penguin side, I'd love to get Eric on the show, but you know, guys like Gills and Kanopka and, and Matt Martin and Haley, I would love to get the guys on the show. Really, I'd love, I want to hear their perspective of the whole series of events with the Penguins and with a guy like Gills, because I, I think that to, to criticize enforcers from the fans and the media, it's sort of like it's low hanging fruit. It doesn't, you're not proving anything. And I remember at the time, the media was brutal, absolutely brutal to him. You know, obviously the Pittsburgh media is going to be brutal to him. But I think some in the media here on Long Island was super critical, and I think it was horseshit. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, I, look, I don't appreciate anyone in the media taking shots at guys who do this job. I definitely don't appreciate guys in the media taking shots at people who do this job that I consider a friend. And that was bullshit at the time. It's still bullshit now. Um, but Gillies, man, oh, man, tough as nails. And like I said, only 56 games, still number five on my list. Um, pff, fucking warrior. Just wild, man. Number five, Trevor Gillies. Number four, Bam Bam, Ken Belanger. Number four on my list, uh, Kenny played parts of four seasons with the Islanders, 71 games, 260 penalty minutes, 26 fights. So that's uh, more than a fight every third game. Um, Kenny, again, similar to Paul Cruz, he came here um, during a really awful time for this organization. And um, I don't think a lot of people realize when the Islanders traded for Ken Belanger, that year he was a, an all-star in the American League with St. John's. Um, and I think part of the reason why they got um, they got Belanger was because, you know, Milbury, he didn't like Vakoda, and maybe he was looking at Belanger to be the replacement. Um, I was doing some research today. I actually don't think that Kenny and uh, Mick played a regular season game together. I think they may have played some preseason games together, but I don't think they ever dressed together uh, in the same game. And... That would have been a pretty nice tag team to have, have Kenny and Mick uh, play in the same game. But I don't think they ever played. I, I'm almost positive they never played in a game together except maybe exhibition. Um, Kenny, uh, like I said, he was an AHL All-Star with St. John's. He came here. And similar to Gills, where I, I had to really do a double take, I, I thought Belanger would have played more games. But he the high his high of games in the season, 97-98, 37 games. I, I Like I said, he just, um, I thought he had more than that. And like I said, 71 total over four seasons. So his season high of PIMS in a season with the Islanders was 102. That was in 96-97. Also his uh, career high with the Islanders, as far as fights go, 12. Um, he had another season, the following season, where he had 11, uh, 11 fights, and he tied for the team lead uh, that year with those 11. Um, some of the some of the guys he fought here. His first fight uh, when he was traded here, they were on a West Coast trip, played in Vancouver. Uh, first fight was against Scott Walker, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, threw him into the bench. Oh, didn't reach to throw him in the bench. But Belanger's a big dude, and uh, and Scott Walker's tough as nails. Uh, but Scott's considerably smaller, and uh, that was his first fight with the Islanders. Um, fought again, Chief Daniels. He fought him twice. Rudy Poshek twice. Um, Belanger had a nice rivalry uh, Paul Laws, they always seemed to meet up 
when they would play Florida. Uh, Bobby Bugner, Jeff Odgers uh, fought Dean Malcock twice, fought Mike Peluso, Stu Grimson with Hartford, which to me might be the best incarnation of Stu Grimson. Uh, following season, Darren Langdon twice, Ty Domi uh, uh, in 97-98, he fought Paul Laws three times. Uh, Turner Stevenson, Steve McKenna, uh, Jimmy Cummins, uh, let's see, Luke Richardson, Sean Brown, Scott Thornton. One of the reasons why I want to get Ken Belanger on the show is uh, there's a story behind the Jim Cummins fight. And uh, Jimmy told me the story. And uh, I, Jimmy, unfortunately, has declined to appear on the show uh, because he's a scout right now. And uh, Jim, I don't. I want Jim to work for the rest of his life. But I think when Jim decides to retire, I might be able to convince him to come on the show. And very few people have stories as good as Jimmy. And to hear Jimmy talk about the Ken Belanger story uh, is pretty good. And uh, I would love to hear Kenny's side of that story. And, uh, you know, so there's a story behind that. So if I'm able to ever get Kenny on the show, I'm definitely going to ask him about that. Um, like I said, uh, fought uh, Paul Laws maybe four or five times. Uh, fought everybody. He was definitely a presence here. And then just like that, he's gone to Boston where he was uh, – you had Belanger and Bomber in the same lineup for a season. That that probably was pretty good uh, for the Bruins fans. But um, Ken Belanger, number four toughest left wing, in my opinion, in Islanders history. So now we're getting to the top three. And the top three, like I said, is really where the impetus for this countdown comes in. Because... Excuse me. My number three is Matt Martin. Now, if Matt Martin is listening to this, he's probably going, oh my God, he has me ranked ahead of some pretty tough guys there. Matt Martin is pretty humble. And um, he played with Trevor Gillies. And uh, Matt Martin has played nine seasons with this team. And I'm not saying that Matt Martin is tougher than anybody that I have ranked behind him. I'm not saying he's not tougher either. What I am saying is Matt Martin has been a part of this. He's, he's had two tenures with this organization. And you have to acknowledge the fact that over nine seasons, this guy has done an amazing job with this team. Now, maybe in a one-on-one fight, and I think Matt would be the first one to tell you, I don't think Matt Martin is rushing to go and fight Trevor Gillies, especially because Matt Martin had a, had a ringside seat to see what Trevor Gillies is capable of. So I don't think Matt Martin's running to fight Trevor Gillies. But I think that because Matt Martin gets, gets credit for being on the best fourth line in hockey and he's known for being one of the best hitters in the last 10, 15 years and one of the most frequent hitters, I think sometimes his fighting actually gets overlooked. Um, Matt Martin has played, and I'm not counting his Toronto stuff, so obviously, but in nine seasons with the Islanders, 560 games, 773 penalty minutes, and counting exhibition. Uh, yeah, it just looks like exhibition. 78 fights. Matt Martin has 72 career fighting majors with the Islanders that puts him fourth and I brought this up I think in my interview with with Bobby like I said about the thing with Bolton 
and, and I'll bring it up now with, with Maddie Martin. If you think about the history of this franchise and the tough players who have played for this franchise, Matt Martin ranks fourth in fighting majors, which I don't know if you realize that. Uh, when I first saw that stat, I did a double take because it's it's not that you don't think Matt Martin has that many fights. It's that you say, holy shit, Matt Martin has more fights than this guy and this guy and this guy, and you're like, wow. And this isn't me saying that Matt Martin doesn't deserve all the credit he gets for doing other things, but let's start giving him a little more credit for the job defending his teammates. So Matt Martin has led the team in nine years, nine seasons, he's led the team in penalty minutes three times. He's led the team in fighting majors five times. He's led, he tied for the team lead in preseason fighting majors once. Like I said, he's fourth all time in the organization with 72 fighting majors, and he's 11th all-time in penalty minutes with his 773, okay? Um, season high in penalty minutes for Matt Martin, 121 minutes in 2011-12. Season high in fights, same season, 15. Um, let's talk about some of the guys he's fought. Um, Sean O'Donnell. Yeah, he's been playing long enough where he started fighting a guy like Sean O'Donnell, Um in his first in a 20 2009-10 preseason yeah Sean O'Donnell was still playing uh Wayne Simmons uh fought Nate Thompson uh Kevin Westgarth George Paros Tanner Glass David Clarkson uh BJ Crombine uh fought Sean O'Donnell when he went to Philly uh let's see uh, Adam McQuaid Brandon Prust Zach Cassie and Stu Bickle twice uh future Islander Joe Finley I don't think he was an Islander yet no he was to Buffalo then he became Martin's teammate, Joe Finley. Uh, Wayne Simmons again with Philly. Derek Dorsett twice. Again, B.J. Crombie. Again, Tanner Glass. Again, Wayne Simmons. Katsopoulos. Derek Dorsett. Um, again, uh, Rich Clune. Tim Jackman twice. Again, B.J. Crombie. Again, Tanner Glass. Uh, Chris Thorburn. Uh, Jay Harrison. Again, Wayne Simmons. Fought Tom Wilson twice. Uh... Brandon Prust again, McQuaid again, Wayne Simmons again, Josh Manson, Borowiecki, uh, <laughs> Derek Dorsett again, Borowiecki again, Cody McLeod, Zidane Chara. Matt Martin has a fight card that for the time that he's played is a very good fight card. Matt Martin is a guy who gets a regular shift on the best fourth line in hockey. Matt Martin is a guy who hits everybody that he can. Um, he's also a free agent at the end of the year, and I know there's been a lot of people that have uh, talked about what happens next year for Matt Martin. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I've already mentioned Ross Johnston in this episode, so him and Ross play the same position. And I've heard people say, well, maybe they're grooming Ross to take Matt Martin's job. And that's always a possibility. Um, I hope that they're both on the team next year. I hope that with Matt, uh, and Matt, if you're listening, again, uh, congratulations on the birth of your beautiful daughter. I hope that with Matt and his wife uh, and their ties here to Long Island, I hope that he's able to work out a deal with the Islanders to keep him here because I like the team a lot better with Matt Martin and Ross Johnston on the team as opposed to just having one or the other. Um, 
But I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I, I really hope that he's here and he's able to add to these totals. I'd love to see the guy crack a 1,000 penalty minutes with the Islanders. I, I don't know if he'd be able to crack 100 fights with the Islanders. I, I just don't. I think the way the league is now, and I, I think he's getting older. I mean, not he doesn't look older, but he's getting older. I don't think, he, you know, he has to get 28 more fights to crack 100. Uh, nowadays, it's probably five seasons. Uh, not for him, for anybody. Um, I don't think he'll crack 100 Islander fights, but I think it's possible if he plays a few more seasons, he could definitely crack 1,000 Pims. Uh, I hope so. Um, again, just like Trevor Gillies, uh, Matt Martin was a key player in their revenge game against Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, um, guys like Gillies and Martin, and, and I won't really get into it because I, I probably have discussed it uh, too much in, in certain episodes, but uh, that that uh, team, the, the 2010-11 team, is always going to have a special place in my heart because of how they co- sort of uh, took myself and my family in after the uh, incident on the subway. So um, I know that I talked a little bit about it in the uh, Centers episode with Kanopka, and um, I know that I've mentioned it in the past. So the that team and the players on that team are always going to mean something to me. Uh, and Matt is, he's always been very cool to me. So I'm always going to be in his corner. I'm always going to have his back. And uh, I think he'll always have my back too. So um, again, I'm not saying Matt Martin is tougher than any, because I know people are going to say Matt Martin isn't tougher than Chris Simon and Matt Martin isn't tougher. I'm not saying he is. But Matt Martin deserves all the accolades he gets for being the, an Islander this long and the numbers he put up with the only stain on his career that time he was with Toronto. I mean, I'm glad. I'm sure, listen, I'm sure everybody that's from Ontario wants to, has dreamed about playing for the Leafs. And I'm sure that that was probably part of, as, as a kid, I'm sure Matt Martin wanted to grow up and wear that maple leaf. And he, he went, he got it out of his system, and, uh, and now he's back where he belongs. We, um, for those of you who've known me a long time, um, I sat in the original 329 at the Coliseum, and um, we had a reunion a few years ago at the Barclays. And there was, God, there were so many of us. I think we were, were we all there? Could have been. I was. It was amazing to see just so many old faces and familiar faces and old friends. And at a certain point, uh, Ledecky came in to talk to us and I'll, I'll never forget um, we were I was sitting next to him and we were watching the game and uh, he's, he turns to me just it's like he doesn't know me He, I could walk past John Ledecky right now he wouldn't know me and it was just weird the question that he asked me he didn't ask me about anyone else he turned to me and said if you were running this team and you could get Matt Martin back would you and I just started laughing I'm like are you kidding me I said, of course. I said, if you get Matt Martin back, I'll drive to Toronto and pick him up and bring him back. Um, I, I just like he didn't ask me about any sort of European or a puck moving defenseman or a goalie. It was just, if you were running the team and you could get Matt Martin back, would you get him back? And I was like, fuck yeah, absolutely get him back. And fortunately, they brought him back, and uh, I'm happy he's here. And you know, I'm I'm just, you know, let's give this guy some credit for his tenure here with the team. And uh, 
Maddie, I hope you don't mind being number three because uh, that's where you rank for me. Uh, number three all time. Now, here's where the real debate is going to begin. And this is something that, I, I guys, I'm telling you, I went back and forth on this a hundred times. Honestly, I did. I, I just, I just went back and forth on it, as far as who I'm going to have at number two and who I'm going to have at number one. And I, I just, it sucks because you shortchange the guy you rank at number two, but he could easily be number one. And it, it, with the Islanders, this is the bad part because. And I guess it's similar when you do the right wings and you have guys like Vakoda and Bobby Nystrom. Like, whoever I put at number one, I'm going to be shortchanging number two. I guess that's a preview for the for the right wings. But for left wings, they're the gold standard for New York Islander tough left wings, there are two guys. And I'm telling you, I, I, had, I flip-flopped on this a million times. And... I'm going to apologize. Again, not that he listens to the show. I'd kill to have him on the show, but not that he listens. But I'm going to apologize to Gary Howitt for ranking him number two because I feel like I am shortchanging someone who on most other teams is unquestionably the number one toughest left winger in the history of the team. But because of who is number one, who you probably have figured out already, I have to put Gary Howard at number two. But before I get into some of the guys that he fought, let me tell you about Gary Howard. And please, do yourself a favor. If you're not familiar with Gary Howard, please go on YouTube and just put his name in and just watch this guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I love this guy. I love Gary Howard. I love the guy. He is, to me, he just screams... 1970s NHL uh, just just screams it he had the look uh, just had the attitude like oh my god I, I get goosebumps talking about the guy but Gary Howard played nine seasons for the Islanders he led the team in penalty minutes seven times he led the team in playoff penalty minutes three times again he played nine seasons he led the team in fighting majors eight times he led the team in playoff fighting majors four times. He was tied for the team lead in playoff fighting majors one time. He is third all-time in penalty minutes in team history with 1,466 penalty minutes. He's only behind Mick Fakoda and Richie Pilon. Those are the only two guys that have more penalty minutes than Gary Howitt. And he is second all-time behind Vakoda and fighting majors for the Islanders. He has 146 in the regular season. His, his numbers, including the playoffs, 683 games, 1,755 penalty minutes, and 176 fights. Do you now understand why I had it such a difficult time putting him at number two? It, it's, it doesn't seem fair to put Gary Howard at number two when you watch what he did and you look at those numbers. And this isn't percentage of bullshit analytics that they throw at you now. All these numbers are, are totals of what the guy has done on the ice. It seems criminal to me 
to put a guy like this at number two. And I promise you, it was difficult to put him at number two. But I, I had to do it. I had to do it. But let's talk about Gary Howitt and who guys, guys that he fought. Don Seleski and Bob Kelly. So in 72-73, that was the first season of the team. He played um, eight games, had 18 penalty minutes, two fights. Why not jump into the deep end and fight the Flyers? Fight the Broad Street Bullies. So you have two fights. Fight Seleski, you fight Bob Kelly. 73-74, his first season as a regular. Led the team in PIMS with 204, had 29 fights. Brian Watson of the Penguins. Brad Park. Glenn Sather. Yeah, I probably needed a beating. Um, Pat Quinn. Keith Magnuson twice. Dave Schultz. Bob Daly. Carol Vadney. Larry Robinson. Hilliard Graves. Uh, Gary Monahan. Ron Stackhouse. Bob Murdoch. Dennis Hextall. Steve Durbano twice. 73-70. I mean, that was one season. Next season, 77 games, nine fights, uh, led the team, <clears throat> led the team, uh, 75-76, 197 penalty minutes, 16 fights. I mean, some of the other guys he fought during his career, that the names I'd listed, besides Selec- Seleski and, and Hound Kelly, all the other names were in the one season, 73-74. Some of the other guys that he fought over the years, Carol Vadney, Terry O'Reilly, Danny Gare, Jerry Butler, Ted Irvin. Fought Dave Schultz four times in the 74-75 playoffs. Uh, he had six fights, four of them were against the Hammer. Uh, following season, he fights Terry O'Reilly again, fights Schultz another three times. Bob Gassoff, Jerry Korab, uh, Moose DuPont, Dennis Polinich, Phil Russell, Harold Snaps, um, Mel Bridgman, again Bob Gassoff, the, the shitty thing is that there's there's so little footage of Gasoff. Arguably one of the toughest players of all time. There's so little footage of that guy. Um, again, Howitt, Willie Plett <clears throat> of Atlanta. Uh, Danny Gare again. Uh, Pat Ribble, Keith Magnuson again. Tiger Williams. Paul Holmgren twice. Bill Riley. Jerry Butler again. I mean, the names are just endless. Tiger Williams again. Um, ben Wilson. Paulnich again, twice. Dave Hoyda, uh, Wensink, Schultz again, Semenko, uh, Moose Dupont again, Brian Sutter, Stan Jonathan, Dave Maloney, uh, Kim Claxon, uh, God, I'm not even, Wolf Paymont, Brian Maxwell, uh, Barry Beck, Ron DeLorme, Terry Ruskowski, uh, Holmgren again, Danny Garrigan. Claxon three more times. Barry Melrose. Um, Ruskowski again. <laughs> Semenko again. I mean, Gary Howitt is probably, maybe not maybe not uh, Polonich, but smaller than everybody I just named. Everybody. Never took a backward step to anybody. And... I don't think there was a better player to have on this team at that time than Gary Howitt to go into the spectrum or go into Boston Garden 
I see my voice cracks. I'm so emotional about this. Um, go into all these Chicago Stadium. Go into all these old rinks as an expansion team or a new team because you know, like I said, he only played eight games that first year, and have that guy defending his teammates because Gary Howitt didn't give a shit, didn't care. I would venture to guess that Gary Howitt thrived. Everyone talks about the Philly flu. Gary Howitt never had the Philly flu. Gary Howitt probably, like I said, or I was saying, probably thrived on going to the spectrum and didn't give a shit who it was. Hammer, Holmgren, DuPont, Kelly, Seleski. Fought them all. Fought, there are guys who would come up with various injuries to not have to play the Flyers. And then you get this guy, Gary Howitt, maybe 5'8", legs like tree trunks, couldn't take him off his feet. Just an animal. An animal. Do you, please, please, when, we're, when you're done listening to this, watch Gary Howitt on YouTube, please. And Gar, to me, and, and again, if I'm ever fortunate enough to get Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom on this show, one of the questions I really want to ask them, look, I'm telling you, my voice, it's like I'm going through puberty right now. My voice keeps cracking. One of the questions I really want to ask both of them is how much did Gary Howitt being on the team with you help your career? Because Gary Howitt did more dirty work than anybody in that era. Obviously more dirty work than anybody but Vakoda career-wise with this franchise. But Bobby Nystrom is not going to not fight anybody because Bobby Nystrom is tough as fuck and that's just the way he's built but I bet a lot of times there were times that maybe Howitt fought someone and it allowed Bobby to stay in the game and maybe score a clutch goal or do something and like I said Bobby Nystrom is Mr. Islander and Clark Gillies is a Hall of Famer with a reputation that's pretty much second to none and I think a lot of that has to do with Gary Howitt I think, I've said it a million times I honestly think Gary Howitt being an Islander during that period enabled Bobby Nystrom and Clark Gillies to propel themselves to the level that they ended up playing because they didn't need to focus on fighting everybody and their dog because Gary Howitt was doing that and now Gary Howitt, he only played with the team until uh, he, his last tenure with the team was the 80-81 playoffs. And then he went to Hartford. So obviously after that, there was no Gary Howitt. But before that, when, when Bobby Nystrom and, and Clark Gillies are establishing themselves, they have a guy like Howitt to do a lot of the dirty work. And who knows, you know, if, if there's no Gary Howitt in those formative years and Clark Gillies has to fight more than he did, who knows? You don't know. And same with Bobby Nystrom. And I, I really, I think that to get a feel for how valuable Gary Howitt was to the franchise, hearing me talk about it doesn't really do it justice. But to hear it from a Bobby Nystrom or a Clark Gillies really would give you the full perspective of just how key Gary Howitt was to this team. But again, I'm begging you. I gave you the numbers. I gave you the guys he fought. Please do yourself a favor and watch this guy. And 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 you know what? If you're a new age guy, watch the fights and watch Gary Howitt, not with your new age glasses. Put yourself in the position of watching a guy 
that was a, a rabid dog play in an era where there were where everybody was a rabid dog where everybody fought even the star players Danny Gare was a hell of a player for the Buffalo Sabres I think his numbers retired in Buffalo but Danny Gare fought anyone didn't care fought anybody fought Gillies fought Howitt back then the superstars fought the, I mean with the exception of maybe Mike Bossy obviously every team had a guy that didn't that was like a, a Mike Bossy in terms of defending themselves. The Islanders had guys to defend the Mike Bossy. But, you know, like I, I said in the Centers episode, a guy like Bob Bourne, who you don't necessarily associate with dropping the gloves, had no problem fighting. Fought guys like McSorley. So um, everybody fought back in the 70s. And Howitt's card is littered with guys who were heavyweights at the time and middleweights at the time who were better players, uh, but fought their own battles. But please watch the Gary Howitt stuff. Just watch it. Um, like I said, on any other team, on most teams, it's not even a question that Gary Howitt is number one. On the Islanders, I have to put him at number two. And the reason he's number two is because number one, of course, is Clark Gillies. And Clark Gillies is, is a legend and has a legend the legend of Clark Gillies so if you're not familiar you don't know a lot about him I mean obviously you know a lot about him but maybe you don't know some interesting numbers about Clark Gillies so Clark Gillies never had triple digits in penalty minutes I don't think he had triple digits with Buffalo he definitely didn't have it with the Islanders but I feel pretty confident in saying his high in penalty minutes was 99 that he had in 1980-81. Here's something else you may not know about Clark Gillies. His season high for fights, six. He had six fights in 75-76. The high for fights, his high for fights is seven in the 79-80 playoffs. That's the playoffs where he fought Terry O'Reilly four times. The big debate amongst people and especially younger people are these guys from the 70s and 80s uh, the fear factor and Gillies is a prime example of having that fear factor uh, Fatih was another guy that had the fear factor and it really is what you make of it okay there are people who uh, rank Nick Fatih in their rankings as high as number two and there are people who don't rank Nick Fatiu in their top 20 uh, because he just doesn't have the card. He just doesn't didn't have enough fights. And Clark Gillies, just to give you some of his numbers, so including playoffs for the Islanders, he's played 1,031 games, has 1,153 penalty minutes, and 55 fights. So when you think of a guy like Gillies, and obviously, look, Gillies is a Hall of Fame player. He's not in the Hall of Fame because of his fighting, obviously. He's in the Hall of Fame because he did everything. He Clark Gillies is the definition of a power forward. Okay? Hall of Fame player. Whether you think he deserves it or not, it doesn't really matter. He's in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. You may not. It's fine. He's there. So, whatever. Again, the discussion is always... Clark Gillies, like I said, he had six fights one year. 
a couple of seasons where he had five, uh, a couple of seasons where he had four, three. So it becomes it becomes a question of did he fight enough to be the guy? Because I think most people acknowledge Clark Gillies as the number one guy, not just at left wing, but in the history of the franchise. And and I, I, I was on uh, Fourth Line Voice, we were discussing Islander Enforcers, and I said it really, it, it comes down to the individual. Um, I think most people put Gillies at number one, and I don't have an issue with that. But if you tell me that you think Bob Nystrom is number one, or you tell me that Eric Cairns is number one, or Mick Vakoda, or Gary Howitt, I don't have a problem with that either, with any of those. Because you really could, I've said it a million times, I can make a case for each one of those guys to be number one. Um, And the only thing really, the only negative against Clark Gillies is the infrequency of his fights. But you have to look at it as he did a lot of other things and he only really had to fight when it was necessary. And for instance, when the Islanders needed a presence to stand up to Dave Schultz Clark Gillies steps in and kind of puts Schultz in his place you know as I said with Gary Howitt going up going into Philly going up against Philly Clark Gillies is the same way Bobby Nystrom is the same way Phillies for for fans nowadays I, I don't really think they grasp just what a machine the Broad Street Bullies were at the time and to have a team like the Islanders, once you start assembling, you get guys like Howard and Nystrom and Gillies becoming regulars and not being intimidated by the Flyers, that's half the battle. It's just going in there going, okay, well, we'll take what you got. We'll fight you, no problem. The, Fl- the Broad Street Bullies were a machine. They won games before the opening faceoff because some teams were just so intimidated by them before they even got in there. But with guys like Howitt and Gillies and Nystrom, um, that didn't phase the Islanders. But getting back to Gillies specific, so 74-75, his first season, played 80 games, had four fights. Uh, Dean Talifus, Dave Schultz, Keith Magnuson, Moose DuPont. So tough guys, fought tough guys there. You know, 66 penalty minutes, four fights. Uh, uh, Playoffs. So playoffs, 17 games, 36 penalty minutes, matched his season total in fights. Uh, John Bednarski, Colin Campbell, Bob Paradise, and Dave Schultz. So 97 games between regular season playoff, eight fights. It's totally respectable. Okay? And again, because he's not he's not a, a fourth liner that's only going to play a couple of shifts a game. I mean, this is a guy that played a lot of minutes every game. Some of the other guys that Gillies fought over the years, uh, Pat Boutet, Willie Plett, Moose Dupont. We already mentioned Magnuson. Uh, I mentioned Danny Gare, Reed Larson, Terry O'Reilly, Tiger Williams, Randy Holt, uh, Jerry Butler, Dave Hoida, uh, Reg Kerr, uh, Don Jackson, Jerry Korab. And you know, well, we'll we'll, we'll fast forward now. Seventy nine eighty playoffs. Uh, Twenty one games, sixty three penalty minutes, seven fights. Uh, that was the only time in Gilly's career that he he led the team in fights for any particular time frame, let's say. Uh, never led the team in fights in the regular season. 
Never led the team in penalty minutes in regular season or, or playoffs, but he was tied with seven fights in the playoffs that year. And that year he fought Jerry Korab, Al Secord, Paul Holmgren, and Terry O'Reilly four times. I think the legend of Clark Gillies was building, and I think the 79-80 playoffs was when it exploded. I mean, the battles with O'Reilly, um, just classic, classic battles. If you've never seen them, and you probably have, obviously, if you're listening to this, even if you have, go watch them again. I mean, just two absolute warriors. Um, <laughs> I mean, just you, you watch, you think about that compared to the playoffs now. I mean, like, Gillies and O'Reilly fought four times in the playoffs. Most playoffs, I don't think you get four fights. And I think we got a few, we've had a few fights in the playoffs now. I don't know if that's all the pent-up frustration, but they're certainly not fighting like Gillies and O'Reilly. Um, other guys that Gillies fought, Ben Wilson, Stan Jonathan, Ed Hospital. I mean, everyone knows the Ed Hospital fight. Uh, Kevin McClellan, uh, McSorley, uh, Ben Wilson again, Steve Richmond. Richmond is one of my favorite highlights. Um, I give Richmond full marks for coming in to defend his teammates. But if you watch the fight, you have Gillies there squaring off like his mouth is watering, and you have Richmond just squaring off, looking everywhere, going, uh, anyone jumping in? Anyone coming in here? What do we got here? And then when no one jumped in, I think he just kind of went for Gillies' legs. So, um, again, I'm not looking to fight Clark Gillies myself. I don't blame him for doing it. But it, to watch the, watch the highlight, and I, I think if you ask Richmond, I mean, maybe he'd even admit to it. He's there going, all right, anyone getting in here? No? Sure? Okay. And then that was it. But um, there was a rematch with Ed Hospodar for uh, Gillies. And then... Um, his final season with the Islanders, 85-86, had three fights. Norm Schmidt, Bob Probert, Barry Melrose. Uh, Gillies is seventh all-time in franchise history with 891 penalty minutes. Remember the um, the number I gave you earlier, the 11.53? That includes playoffs. Um, you know, like I said, I went back and forth. Do I put Gillies at number two? Do I put Howard at number one? And I'll be honest with you, I think... If I hadn't watched Gillies and I hadn't seen Gillies with my own eyes, uh, because with the exception of his first few years, maybe, I re- I, I've watched almost every game he played in. I mean, I was born in 1970. His first year was 74, 75. I've, I've seen the majority of his career. And if I hadn't seen him, I think Gary Howard is easy to put at number one because the numbers, they just, there's no comparison between Gillies' fight numbers, penalty minute numbers, and Gary Howard's. And I think for someone that maybe isn't my age or for someone that wasn't watching the team at the time, I think Gary Howard is your number one guy at this position. But because I'm an old fart, because I watch Gillies, because I saw with my own eyes the effect that Clark Gillies' presence had on games, he has to be number one. Clark Gillies changed the way other people played hockey. We talk about enforcers being deterrents. Clark Gillies was a deterrent. We talk about how guys didn't take runs at Gretzky because of guys like Dave Semenko or Marty McSorley. Nobody wanted to fight Clark. Maybe Ben Wilson. Maybe Ben Wilson, because Ben Wilson, I think, is 
I think Ben Wilson has a screw loose, and I love him for it. He's one of my favorite players of all time. Ben Wilson, I don't think, had a problem fighting anybody. Um, even Terry O'Reilly, who who held did well in those fights against Gillies. I mean, Jesus Christ, Terry O'Reilly's a legend. I don't know if he enjoyed fighting Clark Gillies. That's what I'm saying. Maybe Ben Wilson is the only guy who wanted to fight Clark Gillies. But other than that, nobody wanted to fight Clark Gillies. Nobody. And if you were on the ice, you wanted to take a run at Bossy, you wanted to take a run at Trottier or someone, and you looked over and you're like, oh, man, if I hit this guy, I got Howitt, Nystrom, oh, fuck, I got Gillies too. Mm, I doubt it. I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, He was a deterrent. So I think for fans that are younger than me, and fans that are out of the area that only see the fight videos and only see the numbers, I'm here to tell you that as someone who has watched this guy and watched most of the games in his career for Gillies, I can't speak for the other guys where, where you talk about the fear factor. I didn't watch the Rangers as much as I watched the Islanders, and I didn't focus on Fatiu as much as Ranger fans probably did, so I can't speak on Fatiu. What I can speak on is Clark Gillies. Like I said, with the exception maybe of Ben Wilson, nobody's lining up to fight this guy. His value to the team... See, that's the difference. Tom Wilson thinks he's too valuable to fight guys, where Clark Gillies was too valuable to fight guys, but fought him anyway. Righted wrongs. Did stuff to spark his team. And he was he was valuable. Um, so... I can tell you this. There, when I'm looking at the spreadsheet, it's funny. If you should see the spreadsheet I made for these episodes. Um, when I look at the spreadsheet, and I highlight stuff in yellow when they lead, you know, a guy leads the team in pims, or a guy leads the team in fighting majors, or something where I make notes, everything's highlighted. And when you look at Gary Howitt's graph graphic, it, half of it's in yellow. It's like yellow, yellow, yellow. Everything led this, led that. And then you look at Clark Gillies, and the only thing that is highlighted is the one season where he had seven fights in the playoffs. And then how he's seventh all-time in penalty minutes. So I'm here to tell you, when it comes to Clark Gillies, the fear factor was a real thing. It was. There was nobody that wanted to get hit with that fist. And although his numbers in terms of fights and penalty minutes pale in comparison to Gary Howitt. Clark Gillies is my number one all-time toughest left wing in Islanders history. Uh, it can definitely be debated. And, you know, like I said, depending on how you want to look at it. And I do think Gary Howitt being on the team enabled Clark to do a lot of other things. But I, I, I cannot in good conscience put anyone ahead of the Hall of Famer, Mr. Clark Gillies, as my number one toughest left wing in the history of the team. So there you have it. Uh, I hope that uh, that was entertaining and not too long-winded. Just to recap, uh, top 10 toughest left wings are honorable mentions. Brett Gallant, Mitch Fritz, and Dale Henry. Those are my three honorable mentions. Uh, number 10, Chris Simon. Number 9, Gino Ojik. Number 8, Ross Johnston. Number seven, Eric Bolton. Number six, Paul Cruz. Number five, Trevor Gillies. Number four, Bam Bam Ken Belanger. 
Number three, Matt Martin. Number two, Gary Howitt. And the king of left wings and potentially the king in Islander history of tough guys. We'll find out in, uh, well, hopefully I have a guest next week. If not, I'll have to do the right wings. But sooner rather than later, probably when I do the ultimate top 10 list, Clark Gillies has as good a chance as anybody to be the king then. But right now, as far as the left wings go, he wears the crown. Toughest left winger in Islander history. With that, I will tell you what I always tell you when I do these countdowns. Agree or disagree, that's awesome. That's what makes the world go round. Do me a favor. Put your list together and hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. Um, The thing about the left-wingers is, as you can see, really from (laughs) really counting the honorable mentions down to number four, not a lot of games. So you might see it differently than I did. And, you know, I think you can, if you wanted to flip-flop Gillies and Belanger, or if you wanted to put, if you want to say, well, Matt Martin has uh, the tenure, but I, I can't put him ahead of so-and-so or so-and-so. So it's all a matter of opinion. I would love to hear your list. Uh, I'd love to hear if you think I'm out of my mind, which you might be right. Um so send me your list. Tell me what you think of my list. And uh, that's about it. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope this was an entertaining two hours for you. And um, hopefully next week I have a guest. If not, then we'll probably do another countdown. Or maybe I'll need another break. I don't know. But anyway, you guys rock. Um, and not that he listens to the show either. But my son, one of my son's birthdays this week, um, Big Dom, my baby, he uh, turned 17. I can't believe it. My, my little boy turning 17. Happy birthday, Dom. I love you very much. I hope he listens because he always makes fun of me when my voice cracks. And my voice cra- I can't control it. I don't know why it does that. And I'm not even getting emotional you know, a lot of times if I get emotional, my voice cracks. I wasn't even getting emotional just now, and my voice cracked when I said his name. And it's a shame that he's not going to hear it because he always makes fun of me when my voice cracks. But my little boy Dom, he's turning 17 this week. I love you, kid. And uh, thank you for making my life a whole lot better and definitely a lot more interesting. Everybody out there, stay safe. Tune in next week. You guys rock. Be safe. Take care, everybody. Thank you.